And our theme for August is baptism. So throughout, throughout August, we'll be looking at various things around baptism. Um, and I particularly want to look, look at today baptism in response to. You might say in response to what? That's exactly my question. What causes us to be baptized? So I'm going to start with a story. No, actually, forgive me. Um, one of the first things I want to do is just unload something that I had in my heart. So this gentleman listening from time, and I felt as I was chatting to you, I just felt God speak to me and say, God's with you today. God's with you and he, has op- he is opening doors in your life and in your circumstances. I don't know you from Adam, but God knows you. He knows your circumstance, he knows your situation. And I just sense right now, not only is the door unlocked, but the door is already unopening for your circumstances. And I encourage you, as that door opens, walk through it with faith and with confidence, for God is with you. He has opened the door for you. And Father, I pray that, Lord, as as doors open for others too, not just this gentleman, Lord, who's listening right now, but to others as well. Father, I pray that you'd open doors where doors seem to have been shut. Lord, you close doors where doors need to be closed. But Father, we come to you with our needs and we say, Lord, move in our lives, move in our circumstances, move miraculously, move sovereignly, move us, O oh God, that we would change, be changed from glory into glory till in heaven we take our place. Till in heaven we take our place. We're on a journey. We're on a journey. We're on a journey with you, O oh God. We're learning stuff every day. We're learning stuff about ourselves. Thank you, Lord, that you help us to, to look into the depth of your word and we see something more of ourselves. And Father, often when you change things, you not only change the circumstances, you change us as well. You lift us up and we have a different perspective. You move us aside and we have a different view. And Lord, O oh God, as we do that, sometimes when we get out of the way, we're the biggest problem. And as we step out of the way, you move and things change and breakthrough comes. So, Father, I pray for this man in Thailand and for others, too, who are seeking for a new corridor, a new pathway to walk down, a new journey to join. Father, I pray that you would open doors, we pray in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to start with a bit of scripture. You probably know this story reasonably well. Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 to 17. Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan River. He wanted to be baptized by John. But John tried to stop him. He told Jesus, I need to be baptized by you. So why do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be this way for now. It is right for us to do this. It carries out God's holy plan. Then John agreed. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he came up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was opened. Jesus saw the Spirit of God coming down on him as a dove. A voice from heaven said, This is my Son. I love him, and I'm very pleased with him. Now, some people think that baptism is the beginning of becoming a Christian. It's, it's a sign on the journey, and it's something that I'd encourage all of us to get baptized at some point in our lives. The sooner the better, in my opinion. But it's not the point we become a Christian. The point we become a Christian is when we put our trust in Christ. and We say, you are Lord, you are Savior, you are my Savior. You know, we can study this great book, the Bible, 
and we can learn history out of it. We can learn uh, poetry out of it. We can learn wisdom out of it. But the most important thing is it becomes our handbook for life, something that guides our journey, something that leads us. This is not a dead book. This is not a dead book. This is a book that's living. You know, there are pages in my, my this, this is probably my fifth or sixth Bible now. And as you can see, if you can see on the camera, it's just full of pieces of paper. Every one of them is a sermon. And uh, I scribble notes in the, in the, in, in the corners of pages. Um, but slowly over time, eventually the spine goes. And once the spine goes, I get myself another Bible. And this is, I think, number six. But um, now this was given to me by Ian and Val Bird. Ian and Val Bird lead our network in... Uh, LifeLinks International, and I went to their ch church plant, as it was, in Calgary, um, and I went to speak at their, their first home group before they'd even moved into a building. And now it's a, a multiple congregation across Calgary in Canada. Um, and they bought me this Bible as a gift. They, did, they, they, they didn't have money to, at that point to be able to, to, to give a love offering, but this Bible is the Bible they gave me on, let me see... 24th of October 2011. So this is, this is historical now. But the point I'm saying is I've read many of these pages many times. Some of them are crumpled, some of them are folded. But it's still fresh. Even though I've read it many times, it's still fresh, it's still living, it still changes me. And so I encourage you, please don't think of this as a dusty book. It might be a dusty book because you haven't opened it for a long time. Well, blow the dust off it and let the life of Christ speak to you and through you. Let the Holy Spirit anoint these words so that they come to you with life and with purpose. And so we read there from Matthew about how Jesus wanted to be back. Now, Jesus was John the Baptist's cousin. And he went to his cousin and John had been out there preaching. What had he been preaching? The kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is at hand. And I want to say that to everybody who's listening, who's listening to the recording later, those are the people in the room. The kingdom of God is at hand. Now, what do we know about a kingdom? Well, firstly, a kingdom is a place. There, there is a king who rules and reigns. The second thing in the kingdom is there are subjects who submit themselves to the king or to the queen. Now, I know that's all very strange in modern Britain. We look at Queen Elizabeth, who I believe was called to be queen. You know, she's still doing a great job, even though she's way past retirement age. But she, I, I sense she feels called to be queen. And so she's going to stay until God either gives her permission to step down, or she passes on to God's kingdom. And uh, I'm just, I, I just... But we know that as queen, she's in charge. Now, historically, I know we've also got a parliament and we... But, but there are things that happen that are still built in history. You know, the prime minister, when he gets elected, goes to the queen. And that's the first thing he does once the election result is declared. He goes to the queen or the king, if there was a king on the throne, and submits his um, prime ministerial election to her to get her sanction. Say, OK, get on with it. And then he, div or, he or she, whoever, the, Theresa May or Boris Johnson... Um, you know, they then develop their, their strategy and then the Queen comes to Parliament and it's the Queen's speech as she declares what her government will do. And so I'm only using this as an illustration because lots of people say, what are kings and queens? Well, the, we live in the kingdom of the United Kingdom and the Queen, in some sense, is in charge. 
The same with the kingdom of God. When we say the kingdom of God is at hand, who's in charge of the kingdom of God? God is. And the kingdom of God is near. And so if we choose to say, Lord, we want to be citizens of your kingdom, we want to partake of what your kingdom means, we want to uh, adopt some of the principles and rules, we want to submit ourselves to your rulership, then when we start, then we start to realise that actually he is king of all. And so John was declaring the kingdom of God is at hand. And Jesus, as he grew up, he, he wanted to get baptised and he said to John, I want you to baptise me. Now John knew who Jesus was. He recognised him as the son of God. He said, no, no, I don't, I don't want to baptise you. You should be baptising me. And as Christ's followers, baptism is a wonderful thing to do. One of my favourite songwriters who wrote a song called There is a Redeemer, Jesus God's Own Son, Keith Green. He died in a plane crash in the 1970s. He's no longer with us. He's gone to be with the Lord. But he made some great statements. He was, as he described it, bananas for Jesus. Those were his words. And, you know, going to church doesn't make us a Christian. Any more than going to McDonald's makes us a hamburger. That's a Keith Green quote. You know, so please don't think that just by turning up at church and being at church we become Christians. We might learn some good things. We might go to church because our parents went to church. We might go to church because it's the habit we've got into. You know, as a young man, as a small child, my mum my dad went to church. I used to love singing in the choirs. I went to Sometimes on a Sunday, three different churches. I'd sing in one in the morning at 9.30, go to my mum and dad's church at 11 o'clock, and then sing in a different church in the evening. So I went to church a lot as a child, but I wasn't a Christian. I just enjoyed the singing. I just enjoyed the community. I just enjoyed the fellowship. And there's nothing wrong with that. But church is about glorifying God. Church is God's hands and feet here on earth. And when God wants to move, he often moves through you and me, the church. Now, sometimes, have you ever had somebody say, oh, you're an angel? They've just used it because maybe you've been good or nice. But you know, genuinely speaking, I believe that we can act as angels because God sends us on his behalf to go and do something. I once remember many, many years ago when we used to have a senior citizen's lunch in a building we used to own, um, I, I felt a nudge from the Holy Spirit to go and put a certain, a certain amount of money. It was a very, very specific amount, down to the pennies. It wasn't a large amount of money, but I felt God encouraged me to go and put this amount of money through this lady's door. And I just kind of thought it was, I'd eaten too much cheese. You know, or I'd, so I, I, I ignored the Holy Spirit. And you know, let me tell you the story, and then you'll understand why I'm telling you this. I ignored the Holy Spirit. And then a few days later maybe even a week, maybe 10 days later, I felt exactly the same amount come to mind and exactly the same person. And this time I thought, okay, this isn't cheese now. This isn't a nightmare. This isn't a, just a thought. This isn't just a Dave idea. It's come back again. So I put the money, cash into the envelope, put it through this person's door. And uh, then at the next senior citizen's meal, she came along and, and she got up to give a testimony. And she said, do you know what? My gas bill came through the door. And it was this amount, and she named this amount. And she hadn't told me this testimony, because she didn't know I'd put the money through her door. So she stood up and she said, you know, I had this amount, I didn't have the money, and so I decided that I need to spend money more on food than I did on the gas bill. That could come later. She said, I prayed about it. And um, she said, and then nothing happened, uh, and then the red bill came. 
said, now I was panicking. And the, the day after the red bill came, this envelope came through my door for exactly the right amount for my gas bill. And she said, praise God, God knew my circumstances. She said, but you know, I was a little worried between when the first bill came and when the second bill came. She said, I was a little worried, I was a little stressed. You know what? I sat there and I cried. I didn't say anything to her, I sat and I cried because I realised God had spoken to me when her first bill had come. And her trouble and her strife was down to me, not down to God. I hadn't been obedient. I hadn't been. In God's kingdom, God moves in mysterious ways. He asks people to do things. So let me encourage you, if you feel a nudge from the Holy Spirit, I'd encourage you to do it. If you feel a prompting to go somewhere, if you feel a prompting to do something, because in God's kingdom, he's, he's moving people around, he's moving situations around, and he will provide. And that, that lady's trouble, that, her, that time of worry, those 10 days, 10 days or so, between the first bill and the second bill, that worry was down to me. Not down to God. I can't point, I can't point to God and go, it was your fault, you should have shouted louder. I hadn't listened. In God's kingdom, he speaks. In God's kingdom, he moves. And so, just being baptised doesn't make us a Christian, but I encourage you, because full immersion baptism is important. And uh, let me read some more. In Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, um, let's, let's get the context of who John the Baptist is. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So not only was he saying the kingdom is here, but he was saying the response to the kingdom is to repent. Because God's rule and reign is sovereign. And actually, we can't keep some of God's rules, even the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are pretty basic. They're there in the Torah. They're there in the early books of the Bible. And just trying to keep the Ten Commandments is hard. Because when Jesus was asked about them, he said, well, actually, okay, uh, the commandment about thou shalt not murder. He said, if you've thought murderous thoughts in your heart, then it's as if you've murdered somebody. And what he was saying was he wanted to deal with the heart. He wanted to deal with the heart. And in God's kingdom, when we start to compare ourselves to God's laws and start to think about God's rule and reign, we start to go, oh my goodness, I can't do that. And we can't. Here's the reality. We can't keep God's rules without God's help. I've got lots of friends who would say to me things like, if I may, God willing. They would say things like, I'll see you tomorrow, God willing. Um, I'll, we're, maybe we're trying to fundraise. We're trying to fundraise for Abba Father's house at the moment. God willing. Because God could solve the money issue like that. Just one person, he could just move one person's heart. The, you know, the money could be solved and, 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 and resolved. And so... What was John saying? He said, repent, turn from your wicked ways, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And what was the response? Um, then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. This was uh, other believers who just said, oh, we need to be baptized. There was a response to the word. Not just the locals, not just people from church, but from all around the area. People said, I need to be baptised. Now, okay, what was the need to be baptised? They recognised they were sinners, and they, they recognised they wanted to put themselves 
into the kingdom of God. They wanted to put themselves in a place where they acknowledged who Christ was and who, who God is. And baptism is an amazing thing. We as a church have baptised people in swimming pools, in, in, in Thorpe, in the river, in the Thames, on a Sunday night, in a baptismal pool, um, in a bath. We baptise people in lots of different ways. So, you know, baptism isn't necessarily in a particular... It's in St. John's. We, we've used the baptismal... St. John's as an Anglican church has a full immersion baptism pool in the front of its... If, if it's, if it's, uh, in the front of the church. And so we've used that sometimes. And I've had people say, Dave, when should I get baptised? Do you know what? Well, I'd encourage you to get baptised the moment you know Jesus is Lord. Let's, let's do it. Now, what difference does baptism make? Oh, actually, I was also thinking we baptise people in the swimming pool at Manacroft School as well. I remember standing there in my T-shirt and my shorts uh, and baptising many, many young people who've been through this church who are now leaders in other churches now. And um, what do we do when we baptise somebody? We take them and we take them under the water and we bring them up again. And, we, and it's a symbol of dying to the past and rising again in new life. And it, it, it's, 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 it's a symbol of the end of something and the beginning of something new. Our bodies wrestle between, or our, our hearts and minds wrestle between our flesh, what we want to do, and the spirit, what God wants us to do. And that's not something that happens out there. It's something that happens in us. As spirit-filled believers, we often know what the right thing to do is, and we don't do it. Anybody else do that? Anybody do things that we know God doesn't really want us to do? Yeah? And sometimes we regret it. Sometimes there's a price to be paid. Sometimes there's a consequence. Remember this lady whose, uh, whose bill uh, wasn't paid until later. That was the consequence of me not responding to God's Holy Spirit. And once had the privilege, we used to have a number of people who used to come to our church from the travelling community over the years. Uh, certainly when we met in the schools, sometimes about 10, 15 minutes into the service, there'd be four or five trucks that would pull into the car park of the school, um, and then they'd all pile in. Um, God has moved in the travelling community around London. Now there are three um, churches, travelling community churches, one in Slough, one in Leatherhead, and one over in Essex. And they were born out of the travelling community being touched by the Holy Spirit. But these folk were rough and ready, let me describe them like that. And uh, we had one man who um, couldn't read. And he became a Christian in one of our services, and... Uh, he suddenly he said, what, what can I do? I can't read it, so how can I read this Bible that I'm meant to read? And we said, we'll pray. And, and one of the ladies in the church also offered to give him some classes, but he really struggled to learn English and to learn to read, or to learn to read English. Um, so we prayed. And here's the bizarre thing. He couldn't read other books, but he could read the Bible. He could pick up the Bible. Now, I remember him once reading a script. He got up, he said, I can read now. God has given me the ability to read. And he got up and he turned to a particular scripture um, and he read out a scripture. Now, my first thought, I was a little cynical here, was he's just memorized it. 
So I said, could you read us another one? He said, what one do you want me to read? And I just picked a random scripture. And he turned to the right page. It took him a little time to find it. But he turned to the right page and he read it out. In God's kingdom, we don't have to play it by our rules. And there was another man from the traveling community who was baptized when we were meeting at New Road. And um, he had quite a few tattoos on. I don't know whether you remember this, Norm. But he had a number of tattoos on. He came to Christ. Um, he, he wanted to be baptized, and we baptized him. And these were permanent tattoos. And there was one or two that were really not very nice tattoos. And when we baptized him, you know, he, he came up, and he went down with a, with a frown on his face. And as we lifted him up, he felt like the story that I just read there of Jesus and the Holy Spirit coming on. He felt the Holy Spirit come on him. He just beamed. It was like someone had turned, given him Duracell batteries and put them inside and turned the lights on. He was shining from the inside out. But here's the thing. Afterwards, we found out a few weeks later, he said, my tattoos have gone. And there was two or three tattoos, one on his arm, one on his leg, and one somewhere else that had disappeared. And so please, I'm not promising miracles through baptism, but God does, as we draw a line, we're saying we're leaving behind the past and we're stepping into God's plans and purposes for our lives. In Matthew 3.15, um, actually, no, I'm going to move on from that, sorry. Um, when, when we think about this and we think about the order of God, we realize that the lineage of Jesus came through Abraham. And we know Abraham was the father of faith. So let me just turn back to Genesis 17, verses 1 and 2, and read this. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you, and you will multiply exceedingly. God is a God of promises. And one of the things that we know from the story of Abraham is God made promises. And he, it wasn't just a promise like you and I, I want to unpack promises because we often say, I'll promise, I'll be there, I'll, prom I'll be there on time, I promise. And promise, in my opinion, has got down, um, dumbed down. It's got reduced in its value. When God in his word talks about a promise, he's talking about a covenant promise, a promise that will be kept. And so a covenant promise is you know, it's the kind of thing you make when you get married. You make vows before the church, before the people, before God. I will love you. Now, if you ask any husband or wife all the way through their marriage, have they always loved their husband? Well, there's probably been moments when they haven't. Maybe there's even been a season when they haven't. But with God's help, those corners can be turned. And so covenant relationship is important. Promising is important. And I believe baptism is a sign where we say, God, I want to follow you. We want to make a public declaration to other people that we have become Christians. And we're setting aside the past and we're stepping into the future, whatever it contains. So God's a God of promises and covenant promises. And I want to encourage you, if God's given you a promise, then hang on to it. There's a good friend of mine, Ron King. Um, he and his wife, Julie, used to lead a LifeLinks church in Lewiston, Idaho. I had privilege of staying with them a number of times. And uh, some of you know Clem Ferris, who's one of our... He's the oversight to us as a church. 
Um, he will be with us, actually, because this week we found out that you, the Americans are able to travel in if they've been double vaccinated. So it looks like he'll be traveling through in September um, on his way through. But, but Clem went to uh, Ron and Judy's church. Now, Ron and Judy's church was in Lewiston, Idaho. So it's kind of mid deep west um, part of Idaho. Um, and uh, they've got a college there. And the college is right next to the church. And the college has a relationship with Japan. And um, so they got to reach out to the college and they got to get to know some of these Japanese students. They'd come and they'd learn English or American um, and they'd stay with people in the local community. And over time, Ron and Julie, who had two children of their own, and they had a four-bedroom house and they said, look, we can have some of these Chinese students to stay with us. First they had one staying, then they had two staying. And they said, well, actually, do you know what? Instead of having a room with just one bed in it, we could have a bunk bed in it. And what that means, we could have more people to stay. And so in every room in the house, including their own, their own bedroom, they had a bunk bed, and on the bottom of the bunk bed was one that folded up to be a seat and then folded down to be a double bed. So in a four-bedroom house, they had room to see, sleep 12 people, as long as you were willing to share a room. And um, they had many Japanese students stay with them over the years. And Clem came through, and he didn't know anything about this kind of Japanese relationship. And he called for Judy and, and Ron. He said, I believe God's going to call you to Japan. God's going to send you to Japan. You're going to be church planting in Japan. And even though they had one or two at this point in time, uh, they had one or two Japanese students coming through. Um, they didn't really think too much of it. And it stayed on the shelf, and uh, they kind of... They, they left it, and uh, then I think it was five or six years later, now, now they'd had a number of Japanese students staying with them. Somebody else came through and said, I sense God's going to send you to Japan. And by this point, they'd seen so many Japanese students come and visit them, and they'd seen them go back to Japan, and they'd become Christians in their church, and now they were going back to Japan. And um, as, as they went back to these, they said, we need, we need to find a church. We can't find a church in Japan. Can, you, can we plant a church? And Ron suddenly realized God had spoken once, he'd spoken again, and now the request was coming. Could he go to Japan? So he started traveling to Japan. Um, and then they, they developed a, a new leadership. So he handed the leadership of the church over in Lewiston, Idaho, and he and Julie went to, to Japan. And he got a job, because apparently they like Western weddings in Japan. So his job, he got paid by the Japanese government to marry people because he was a, a minister. And so he got to marry people, typically in the week, and he would do a Western wedding. And they paid apparently good money for this. So the government were paying him to marry people in a country that is not a Christian country. And then he was free on Sundays to then set up church. God's an amazing God. Now, God had spoken about it years before. God had said it again. And then when the call came, they went. You know, and they're still in Japan now. They're still in Japan now. And they, they've seen a number of Japanese churches planted now. Um, so God is on the move. In God's kingdom, we see God's promises coming through. And so that covenant promise, that, that promise that was in line with God's word, it witnessed with their spirit. They aligned themselves to it. And as they aligned themselves to it, God stepped up and followed through. I just want to read something I think is quite important here from Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 to 8. 
And it says, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Who does this speak about? It speaks about Jesus. Jesus humbled himself. Jesus, part of the of the the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus, the Son of God, he didn't have to go to the cross. He could have got down off the cross, but he didn't. He submitted himself to his Father's will, being found in fashion as a man, suffering as a man. He became obedient even to the point of death. He died. And as he died, he paid a price for you and for me. This is the covenant, most ultimate covenant promise. Because God sent his one and only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I've got an appointment this afternoon to talk to a young man who wants to know about life after death. His mum rang me yesterday and I'm going to have a conversation with him this afternoon. You know, there are people in this current season, because of COVID, death has suddenly come to the top of the pile again. You know, somebody probably knows someone who's either been died or been near death. You know, I don't think we should be frightened about talking about death. I don't fear death because I know where I'm going. But there are many people who who do fear death because they don't. And so death is the end for them. And what greater privilege would it be to show someone that Death is not the end. There is an eternity with God that is promised in his covenant relationships with you and with me. We know this as we read when Jesus sent out his disciples in the end of the Gospel of Matthew. What did he say to his disciples? And this is kind of pulling us back to baptism again. So you must go and make disciples in all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I have commanded you, and you can be sure that I am always with you to the very end. Jesus sent out his disciples, said, Go, baptize, teach. Teach what you know. Now, now I, want, I want to make this very real for us today. Because lots of us will go, well, that's historical. That's what Jesus said to his disciples. Anybody else a disciple of Jesus in the room? Anybody else a disciple online? Okay, if you're a disciple of Christ, this speaks to you. Go. Now, I'm not saying he's asking you to go to Japan, like Ron and Julie. Sometimes go, but just might be go to your neighbor. Speak to your friend. Pick up the phone. But do something. Say something. Don't be silent. The world is full of too much silence. And we need more good news. And the good news is that Jesus Christ died and he rose again in fulfilment of scripture, in fulfilment of that promise that the price has been paid. So go into all the world. And what to teach? Teach what I have commanded you. Now, if you haven't been taught all the commandments yet, teach the ones you know. Please don't think I can't go until I've got my PhD. I can't go until I've got my A-level in the Bible. Go and share what you know. Every one of us knows something about Jesus. And go and share what you know. That's enough. 
And if you need to know more, God will help you. There have been times when I was a young Christian when the only word I had, I was, I was, I was standing there in a, sorry, sitting there in a prayer meeting and my, my knees were shaking. I wanted to pray, but I didn't know what to pray. And all I could think was Jesus. And I, I, I just felt God say, well, say what you've got then, Dave. So I said, Jesus. And then the rest of the sentences came. I didn't know what I was going to say. I hadn't all worked it out. You know, some of us like to be so much in control that we've already written out the prayer before we're going to say it. You know, sometimes God doesn't want a written prayer. He wants a heart prayer. What is it you're crying out for today? Because he's a God who hears and he's a God who listens. And what happened after Jesus was baptized in Matthew 3, 16 and 17 When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending upon him like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. I'm hoping God's going to say that to me one day. I'm hoping, and I'm trying to align myself to it. But you know what? I don't know. I really don't know. Billy Graham, uh, one of the questions he was asked um, in his latter years, he said, when you get to heaven, what are you looking forward to? And he said, I'm hoping for. This is Billy Graham, who's spoken to millions of people, led uh, tens, if not hundreds of thousands, maybe millions to Christ. And he said, I'm hoping to get a well done, good and faithful servant. And I just thought, hmm, okay. I'm going to put myself in that place too. Because... I don't want to presume. I want to do all that I can to have done what God's called me to do. And one of those things is to encourage people to be baptised. So if, if, if you're online, if you're in the room and you've not been baptised, let me know. We can organise a baptism over the summer. That's not difficult to do. We're out of lockdown. We can do it outside. We can do it in a swimming pool. We can do it wherever. But you know, I just believe that there's a season where we need to press into baptism. And we'll talk, we'll talk about other baptisms, not just water baptism, that's just one baptism. Baptism in the Holy Spirit and other baptisms too. That's so, you know, baptism is an outward sign of inward change. It's people saying, I want to show to other people that I've been baptised. Baptism sets a seal on what God has already begun. And baptism is a healthy sign of a healthy journey. So, let me pray. Father, I firstly want to pray. I want to say, no, I don't want to pray. I want to say the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. And so, what did John say? He said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. So let me repeat those words. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And if there are people who are listening later, people who are listening now, people who are in the room, and you need to do some repentance, let me encourage you, get on and do it. Do it privately, you can do it with God, you don't have to do it publicly. But repent. Turn from the things that are not glorifying to God, the things that are hurting you, maybe you're hurting others. And ask for God's help to walk down this new path. Because as we turn from our sin, our wrongdoing, we turn towards Christ. As we turn from the things that are not of God, we turn to the things that are of God. 
Oil and water do not easily mix. The spirit and the flesh do not easily mix. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray, pray, Lord, convict us. Uh, Not condemn us, convict us of the things that we need to sort out. And Father, help us in that journey of wholeness and healing. Restore us, renew us, we pray. Father, I particularly want to pray for those who cannot um, repair something that is broken. I just felt a nudge of the Spirit where there are people who've said things to people who are no longer here. So they can't say they can't say sorry to that person here on this earth. They've gone. But you know, you can still say sorry. God hears the sorry. God hears the repentance. And God is able to repair, restore, renew relationships, heart situations. Uh, self-value. I, I really sense this one or two people as I'm praying who really, um, God is saying to you, stand up, son of mine, stand up, daughter of mine. You are precious, you are valued, you are loved. Do not believe the past when you heard other words that said, you're no good, because I value you. The Father, Father God values you. He sent his son Jesus for you, for you personally. And he wants a relationship with you from today. And if you need to turn and repent and say some sorries, let me encourage you to do that. If you want to pray a prayer, then pray a prayer like this. Maybe you want to follow me right now and say, Father, I repent, I turn from my sins, I turn from my wicked ways. I turn to you. And I acknowledge Jesus, your son, as my saviour. Your kingdom is at hand and I am repenting. But I'm putting my trust in you. And you've made a way through your son Jesus. My, the price for my sin has been paid. I see that now. And I've received the forgiveness that is true. I receive that forgiveness for things that I have said. I receive that forgiveness for things that I have done that were wrong as I turn from those things. And Father, help me to follow you. Help me to be more like your son, Jesus. And fill me with your Holy Spirit. That empowering indweller that remains with us this time forth and forevermore. Amen.